From the campus of Harvard Medical School, this is Think Research, a podcast devoted to the stories behind clinical research. I'm Abby. And I'm Brendan, and we're your hosts. Think Research is brought to you by Harvard Catalyst, Harvard University's Clinical and Translational Science Center. And by NCATS, the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. For Jane Wilkinson, life has always been about science. Wanting to understand a genetic disorder throughout her family history led Jane to an interest in science and biology that brought her to the Human Genome Project and around the world. Now as the Senior Director of Project and Alliance Management at the Broad Institute, Jane oversees genomics research among a vast number of external groups and understands the key importance of team science. Hi, Jane. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Um, How are you holding up with everything? Um, Yeah, it's um, a very interesting um, time. Um, You know, unprecedented times come for unprecedented challenges. We're keeping focused on our genomics and our biomarker work. And we're also taking on a lot of extra COVID research and also COVID testing at the Broad. Mm. So, um, you know, we're really kind of trying to make a difference in this really, really challenging time. Mm. So you are the Senior Director of the Genomics Platform Project and Alliance Management. Can you tell us about what you do at the Broad and what Alliance Management is? Yes. Um, So um, what I kind of do on a kind of day-to-day, month-by-month, year-by-year basis, and I've been at the Broad for 18 years, um, is I'm pretty much externally facing. Um, So I'm helping, working with, and also helping folks to navigate um, the genomics platform outside of the road. Um, So we have all of our our capabilities are are open to people outside of the road. Um, Sometimes they're um, partnerships, um, sometimes they're real alliances, um, sometimes they're research collaborations, but then sometimes they're really very transactional. You know, people come to us looking for a fee-for-service um, um, relationship regarding the genomics platform. So um, I kind of oversee all of those different types of relationships. Um, and then I lead a team of project managers, um, an amazing uh, group of, um, of ladies who are um, managing all of the logistics um, and the more kind of day-to-day relationships on the projects as well. So you've been at the Broad for 18 years now, and before that you worked on chromosome one at the Human Genome Project. Um, Can you tell us about your early career and how you became involved with the Human Genome Project? Yeah, um, my um, my background is in genetics and microbiology, um, mm-hmm. and I was at the um, the University of Liverpool. Um, I was a, a research um, technician there. And I was actually looking to relocate to Cambridge, UK. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, my, um, my boss and my mentor, Dr. Brian Thompson, who's really kind of got me on the path of genetics and microbiology, um, passed over um, the New Scientist magazine, um, which is a UK publication, and pointed out this 
this um, opportunity at a place called the Sanger Center. Um, you know, they didn't even have a logo then. Um, it was literally just, you know, a little small ad in the back of, um, in the jobs pages in the New Scientist magazine. You know, this was back when we actually had jobs advertised on paper. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, so I, I threw my CV into them because um, I was actually looking to reload to Cambridge, the UK, and um, and had um, had an interview with them within a couple of weeks. Mm. And I during my interview, um, my um, boss to be um, at the Sanger, Dr. Mary Burks, another one of my amazing mentors, walked me through um, the fluorescent sequencing technology. I've done a lot of radioactive sequencing. Um, you know, this new ABI machine where you could um, load twenty. Actually, I think it was twelve fragments of DNA at once using the um, fluorescent dioxy sequencing technology. And I was just blown away to see this huge leap before me from radioactive sequencing to this new, this new wave of sequencing technologies. Um, I got the job, I took the job, um, and I moved to <laughs> Cambridge, UK. Um, and I started working on um, the nematode project, which was the first multicellular organism um, ever to be sequenced. Um, and that was a um, collaboration between the Sanger Center and um, Washington University in St. Louis. And that's really kind of how I got involved in what was then high throughput sequencing. And then came along the Human Genome Project, which again, the Sanger Center was a, a, a huge contributor to. Um, and I went on to lead the Chromosome 1 initiative for the Human Genome Project. Um, because how the Human Genome Project was organized is basically the chromosomes were assigned to different research institutes across the world. That's amazing. And could we even step back? Could you tell us how you became interested in science? I know you talked a little bit about your background leading up to the Human Genome Project, but even before that. Yeah. Um, you know, I've always had a natural curiosity to science and technology. I can actually I remember as a kid, um, I actually wanted to be a clinical pathologist. I wanted to do mm. post-mortem work. And I'm not sure if you all remember, there was um, a show called Quincy MD. Um, yes, <laughs> was, I do. Yeah. I'm old enough to remember it. <laughs> right. Thank you for that. And, um, <laughs> and that's really kind of what drew me into biology and medicine as, as a field. Um, but, you know, I really didn't want to go to medical school. Um, but that's, mm. that's what's really kind of pulled me into biology. Um, you know, biology classes in high school were probably my favorite topic I was there was just kind of like a natural curiosity there um, mm -hmm. genetics in particular is something that is um, very important to me um, both of my parents are um, profoundly deaf and um, both from mm -hmm. um, genetic um, um, disorders um, and we have a hearing loss that runs all the way through our families mm. um, so that's also something that's kind of pulled me into the field of genetics as well that kind of close to home feeling with it right how did your experience in the human genome project influence how you approach team science 
Um, well, the Human Genome Project was team science. Yeah. Um, you know, as I, as I mentioned, we literally chopped up the genome chromosome by chromosome and mm -hmm. then assigned it to different research centers in different countries around the world. Um, it was just a huge global effort. It was very, very collaborative. Um, we, you know, we were sharing, constantly sharing ideas and thoughts around some of the new technologies that were coming in. We were all constantly thinking about, you know, how to scale up um, and also how to reduce cost as well. Mm -hmm. um, it was a very global effort. You know, when we used to attend um, the, the global calls and some of the global meetings, we used to all catch up at Coast Spring Harbor at the Biology of Genomes every every year, and um, it really was a very collaborative project. My real first taste of real kind of big scale collaboration was actually on the nematode project. Um, we worked with um, Washington University on that, but we didn't do it chromosome by chromosome. We were literally chopping it up um, cosmid by cosmid. So we would, you know, we'd have a chunk of a genome, a, a chunk of the region, um, but we'd be constantly bumping into the next region and we'd be always chatting with, um, with WashU on that. Um, so that collaboration has always been there since the beginning. Mm. And, you know, I jumped into asking you about team science, but I may actually want to take a step back and talk a little bit more about team science and what that means. And, and you know, I think some of it is kind of intuitive by the words, but what does that mean to you? And what, what does that look like? How is that different from just being a collaborator or being engaged with other groups? If yeah, I mean, I, if I bring it closer to home and closer to where we are today, um, you know, the genomics platform is um, actually, um, I should probably correct myself, was a team yeah. of 125 people, um, you know, and we're one of the largest um, genomics centers in the world. And mm. that 125 people include everybody from folks who are working in the lab um, to people who are building and maintaining our laboratory information management system. We have a um, quality assurance um, team. Um, we have leadership team. We have a team of project managers. Mm. Um, you know, there are so many components to, um, to genomics. You know, one of my favorite sayings is it takes a village to sequence a genome. It absolutely <laughs> does. It really does take this infrastructure of a lot of people with a lot of different expertise, different mm. focuses um, in a kind of minute by minute way, but then, you know, all coming together and focusing on the output um, of the genomics group. And um, the team has actually grown rapidly since um, the, um, since the COVID-19 um, pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. We've actually hired about another hundred people to take on the COVID oh, wow. testing work that we've been doing as well. Um, I will also say that team science now is even more important than it ever has been because mm. we are all, most of us are remote. Um, we have our lab folks who are back in the building, um, mm. but most of us like me are working remotely. I'm sitting in my dining room at home, um, focusing yeah. on and working hard at maintaining that team um, focus is really important, more so now than it ever has been. What keeps you motivated in your job at the Broad after 18 years? I have a saying that um, working at the Broad is a bit like New England weather. If you don't like it, <laughs> just wait a minute because it's going to change. <laughs> 
Um, it's a very dynamic organization. You know, what I love about the Broad is that it's, it's pretty unique. Um, mm -hmm. It's a combination of, you know, with the genomics platform, we really were a, a real business hat a lot of the times um, because we do apply a lot of lean manufacturing techniques to, um, mm -hmm. to our genomics philosophies. So sometimes it feels very businessy and very kind of production driven. But then I have these collaborations that are inside the Broad. I have collaborators outside of the road. The technology has constantly changed. My role has evolved a lot. You know, I haven't had the same job for 18 years. Um, you know, a new challenge comes along and I kind of take hold of it and run with it. Because it is a very fast-paced environment, there are a lot of opportunities. Um, and that's really what kind of motivates me. I'm also a type of person who likes to keep super busy. And there's plenty mm. of things to keep you busy at the Broad. Mm -hmm. I love the mission at the Broad. Um, you know, that kind of elevator um, talk that they, they tell you to yes, think of. Exactly. I, love, I love it when I go to you know, a random holiday party and somebody asks me, well, what do you do? Yeah. You know, that 30 second summary that I give that person who doesn't know anything about the road or really genomics. Um, every time I give that, like, I'm like, oh, wow, I really do have a really cool <laughs> job and I'm really making a difference here. Yeah. And I think it's important for us all to do that once in a while. Take a step back and, and tell yourself about your job and tell yourself what it is about your job and your career that you enjoy. And it's a good reminder. I also work with some of the world's smartest people. I also have a, I have a saying that I often share with my, um, with my mentees. I do a lot of mentoring um, within the road and outside of the road, where um, somebody once told me that the day you become the smartest person in the room is the day you should leave your job. Wow. And fortunately, that's never the case at the Broad. Um, I'm, I'm surrounded by some just amazing, brilliant minds. Um, and they're constantly inspiring me and constantly um, teaching me and pushing me to learn more about, about um, myself and also about science. That is, I'm going to take your analogy about New England weather. <laughs> about that deeply. <laughs> it's, that's spot on. Yeah, and also, I mean, if you think about, you know, um, you know, some of the kind of major projects I've worked with at the Broad, I came back to the Broad to see out the end of the Human Genome Project. Um, mm -hmm. I took on some of the next organism-based projects, the mouse, the dog. Then genomics really started to diversify away from model organisms into infectious diseases. And then we started mm -hmm. doing some cancer research. And now we're looking at these immensely large-scale population cohorts. The types of genomics have changed so much over 18 years as well, and that's really been a motivation too. Can you talk about some of the work that the Broad is doing now to understand COVID-19? I mean, it's just an incredible effort. You know, it's one of those things where I kind of stop and pause and, and catch my breath on it. It's, it really has been a, just an incredible initiative. This came about um, with a conversation with the Broad leadership just as the pandemic started to break in Massachusetts and we started to see our numbers um, really start to increase. Obviously, we've gone into lockdown and the genomics lab um, was closed, um, but the Broad leadership really 
really wanted to come together and see how they could contribute and help um, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts with the testing capacity. There was such a shortage of testing at the time. So we converted over um, a bunch of the labs at our sequencing facility um, at 320 Charles Street to become what was then a large-scale um, COVID-19 testing facility. And we were, hmm. we were planning on getting up to about 2,500 samples a day, which, you know, back in March uh -huh. would absolutely mind-blowing um we pulled this together we um, we already were a clear certified lab so that was very much um the first easiest step to take um we became certified in March. certified sorry i'm sorry did you say clear certified yes clear certified c-l-i-a what does that mean? So that's a clinical um, certification, and that allows us to um, perform testing um, on patient samples and for it to potentially impact the um, treatment and um, outcome. We got the lab up and running um, at a capacity of uh, 2,000 tests a day. Um, mm -hmm. and we were also very focused on doing a fast turnaround time, understanding the importance of getting these data back to the patients and the care providers very quickly. Um, you know, some of the first projects that we became involved with, um, and we were working very, very closely with the Baker and Polito administration and the um, response command center on this. We took on a number of initiatives with the Department of Public Health for Massachusetts and also with um, MGH and Brigham and Women's. Um, we were helping out with some of the nursing home testing. We were helping out with generating um, you know, extra capacity for some of the other testing labs throughout Massachusetts so we could kind of scale up. It was just incredible to see us go from zero to 2,000 tests within a matter of weeks in March. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and now here we are in July. Um, we're now going to we're now at the capability of doing 35,000 tests a day wow and it's it's just incredible to see you know us going from 3,000 to 35,000 in just right. a matter of months um, you know the demand is very much there and um, there's a huge demand for COVID testing and we're really also very focused in making sure that we're really kind of contributing to the community um, on this initiative. Um, we've been working with, um, with the Department of Public Health here in Massachusetts to stand up some um, new testing um, facilities, including some that are called um, Stop the Spread. Um, and we're opening up these test facilities in, in hotspots around Massachusetts, um, still working with, um, with some of the nursing homes and, and those care facilities as well, but really making sure that we're also able to contribute to some of the um, underserved populations and underserved areas um, mm -hmm. in Massachusetts to bring testing capabilities to them. We're also um, been working with a lot of um, New England schools and colleges as well um, and in providing then some back to school testing as well. Um, and so what has it been like working at the Bro during this pandemic? <laughs> well, you know, go, go, go back to the go back yes. to the New England weather comment. Um, it's um, it's it's just constantly, constantly moving. It's kind of interesting, um, you know, a genomics project. You know, taking on a large-scale population study, looking for some, looking at a big cohort in um, 
in a population of people that may have a psychiatric disease. Those types of projects take mm -hmm. months to kind of come together. Um, you know, lots of IRBs and consents and lots of upfront paperwork. And then there's months and months of sequencing. And then there's months and months of analysis. Um, with COVID testing, we're really in a start to finish timeline of 24 hours. So mm -hmm. it's, a comp it's a completely different shift in um, timing and, and the sense of urgency. Um, mm -hmm. But we still have both of those efforts going on. Our genomics lab um, was back up and running um, in June. Um, so we're, we are mm -hmm. doing our genomics um, work and our biomarker discovery work there, as well as the COVID testing. I'm actually involved in both sides of those. Um, I have a foot mm -hmm. in, each, um, in each world at the moment. And I'm actually really enjoying the different challenges that they both bring. I'm enjoying being part of the COVID um, initiative and I'm also enjoying the, you know, the different types of uh, challenges that come with that. Um, but I'm also still mm -hmm. very grounded with the genomics projects, which was really, you know, my passion um, and what brought me into this, into this field to start out with. We're also getting involved in COVID research as well. So, you know, up until now, I've spoken a lot about COVID testing. There's a lot of work going on at the Grow to really kind of understand the mechanism and the genetics behind um, COVID-19. Um, I've been talking to some collaborators who are interested in looking at the whole genomes of um, COVID patients. Um, is there something that makes these particular people more susceptible to particular outcomes? There's a really, um, really interesting project in the UK called the UK Biobank, and they've sequenced hundreds of thousands of people in the mm -hmm. UK, and they have their genomes on file. You know, they've already been sequenced, but mm. because the UK has, um, has a really good EMR system, um, electronic medical record system and mm -hmm. um, now they can go back and see okay who are these who are these people that we have already sequenced and we've already read the genome for have COVID-19 so they're able wow. to instead of waiting to generate the genomic data they already have it but they're using um, this um, new the new medical data that's coming in from the COVID-9 diagnosis to to look at these people as a cohort and to try and understand more about what it is that that makes them susceptible if there is something that makes them more susceptible than others we also have similar projects like that at the Broad. Dr. Ben Neal is um, leading a study at the Broad where he's going to be looking at large cohorts of um, COVID-19 patients. Thank you so much for joining us, Jane. It has been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. It's been so much fun fun to actually just take a couple of you know minutes out of where we are in the world right now and, mm -hmm. and look back and, and also think forward about genomics and, um, and my career and I'm just really really glad that I could share this story um, with people. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, Please rate us on iTunes and help us spread the word about the amazing research taking place across the Harvard community. To learn more about the guests on this episode, visit our website, catalyst.harvard.edu slash thinkresearch.